Amen. Okay, so we're going to hop right in. Today we are going to do something ambitious. We are going to cover chapter 7 to chapter 15 of Exodus. Remember, our uh, goal in this is to see how Exodus, uh, the story here, fits into the rest of Scripture. Uh, Last week we looked at Exodus uh, chapters 1 through 6, and we saw the person of God. Uh, We saw how uh, our righteous God uh, comes up against a ruthless Pharaoh. Uh, We saw how God's regard for his people um, is greater than than Moses' recklessness. Um, And then finally, uh, we saw that God desires a relationship with his reluctant people. Um, and in the first six chapters, we have uh, evidence. Um, we start with a, uh, a man named Joseph who has died 400 years before. Um, and nobody in the land remembers him. And Joseph is going to come into play again here as we get to chapter 13. Um, but Joseph is the reason that the people of Israel are down in Egypt. Um, and we covered all of that last week. And we don't really have time to go back and cover it. So this week, read Exodus chapter 1 through 6 there. Um, but uh, some things, some, some housekeeping notes here. I'm going to start my timer so I don't go for an hour. Um, this little sheet here that you have, uh, this beautiful sheet here was created by my daughter. Kids, um, if you are interested, um, you guys can fill out this sheet here um, about the 10 plagues on Egypt. And today we are going to cover the 10 plagues of Egypt. Uh, We're also going to cover the uh, parting of the Red Sea. Um, And finally, we are going to end with some instruction on some festivals that the people of Israel were supposed to keep. And then the first song in, record it in all of the Bible here, um, which is the, uh, the song that the Israelites sing after they cross the, uh, the Red Sea here um, and praise our one and only God. So as we begin here, um, Hudson, Hudson ran out, didn't he? He's gone. It's gone. All right. Um, did you guys see Hudson's face? Hudson, how you doing, buddy? All right. He magically appears. Look at this. I'm doing all sorts of magic tricks today. Um, Hudson's like, here am I. Um, So uh, Hudson, hey, how did you feel after I did the magic trick? How did you feel when when that card was in your hand? Crazy, right? I mean, you were, you were probably in shock. You were like, listen, Pastor Billy, you showed me three different cards, and then that one card somehow wound up in my hand. Now, now Hudson, do you think that I have some kind of super magical powers? No. What do you, what do you think I did? You, you think I tricked you? You think I did something with my hands and maybe moved some cards around and, and, and there? Um, when do you think I knew that your card was the king of hearts? Well, I'm going to tell you, I knew from, well, before last night uh, that your card was going to be the king of hearts, okay? Um, and I planted it in the deck uh, in order to do that, um, to show you guys that, that sometimes we can be, we can be tricked, okay, um, by people. Um, there are things that people can do to manipulate trick, but it brings up this feeling of wonder and amazement. Does this person actually have some sort of magical power? And that's kind of where we start in, in Exodus here. Um, Moses and Aaron walk into Pharaoh, and um, Pharaoh is not impressed uh, last week we heard. Uh, Pharaoh says to, to Moses, I don't know who your God is. Uh, go away, you're taking the people away from their work. And then Pharaoh goes to put some undue burdens on the, uh, on the Israelites because he is upset with them. So that's where we pick up the story here. And as Cindy read in, um, in, chapter, uh, <laughs> in chapter 7 here, God lays out his plan. He tells Moses exactly what's going to happen. Listen, Moses, you're going to go into Pharaoh. You're going to say, let my people go. He's not going to let them go. I'm going to harden his heart. And then I will stretch out my hand on all of Egypt and I will perform great signs and wonders and miracles. 
and everyone in the land will know that I am the Lord. This is my plan. Moses, don't get discouraged, okay? By the way, is this the first time the people of God have heard this plan? It's not. You turn back with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 in verse 12, it says, As the sun was going down, the deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said, Know for certain your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. Sound familiar? They will be afflicted for 400 years. Sound familiar? But I will bring judgments on the nation that they served, and afterwards they will come out with great possession. And that's what we're going to talk about today. As for you, you shall go to your father in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet been completed. So God has a plan. God is going to work this plan. Nothing can stop this plan. Your first, your first uh, key there on your, on your sheet there, um, you have two M's to fill in. And it's the message and the miracles of our God. The message and the miracles of our God. You see today, guys, we are going to see that the great I am has a, has a plan and the power to save his people. And we start here in chapter 7 with the message that he is sending to his people and to Pharaoh. They are the same message, in a sense, that the people need to leave the land. But he gives Moses a little greater detail. He says it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a cakewalk. I am going to forcefully cause... Pharaoh to not let you go. And we will answer that question of why God does that today. But our keys to remember here, our righteous God does not change and he desires a relationship with his people and that God's plan is perfect even when it hurts. And guys, today, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt a lot. So as we pick it up in chapter 7 here, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. Your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people go out of his land, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply the signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Very important here, by great acts of judgment. We'll talk about this more in a second here. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring them out, uh, bring out the people of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. What are the keys here in this passage? The keys are that God lays out his plan. This is exactly what's going to happen, Moses. But we start to see something change and shift here. Last week we saw Moses, the man Moses, making all sorts of excuses. Right before this, at the end of chapter 6, he's going to make his last excuse. He's going to say, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips, Lord. Still think you have the wrong guy. But something shifts here in the person of Moses in chapter 7 to where whatever the Lord says when it comes to these 10 plagues, whatever he says, Moses does. Moses and Aaron are faithful to obey the word of the Lord, the message of the Lord. And they're spring chickens too, right? Uh, Julie had, uh, I saw on her Facebook, one of her friends, I was looking at her Facebook because I'm that type of husband. No, um, because she has real friends. No, I'm kidding. Um, So I was looking at her Facebook and uh, someone who used to go to church here, um, and and I'm I'm her friend as well, just came up sooner on her feed, but uh, she is in her early 40s 
and she had posted that someone had called her middle-aged. And she's like, I don't think, and she's in her young 40s, maybe she's 39, I don't know, but she's like, I don't think somebody who's 40 is middle-aged. I think somebody who's over 40 is middle-aged. And I was like, thanks. So Moses, is, Moses and Aaron are beyond middle-aged right now, okay? They are, they are on overtime in my mind, all right? I don't think I'm making it to 83, sorry, um, or even 80. Um, they're in overtime in my mind. These are not young men. These are old men when they come before Pharaoh. But they do exactly what what God commands them. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourself by working a miracle. Look at this, God knows. God knows exactly what, what Pharaoh is going to demand of them before they even go in. When God says perform a miracle, take your staff and cast it down. I'm sorry, you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they and the magicians of Egypt also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down their staff and they became serpents. i I've never had a snake in my house. Ben, you ever have a snake in your house? No, I've never had a snake in my house. Um, oh, Celinda, you've had a snake in your house. Okay. Uh, uh, the, uh, see, I don't know what the solution is to a snake in the house because as soon as a snake comes in the house, I'm out of the house. Okay, that's my solution. All right. I'm tripping people on the way out. I'm like, take them, not me. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I'm gone. But Celinda, do you think the solution to a snake in the house is more snakes in the house? Seems like a bad idea. Now, obviously, obviously, um, the magicians are trying to prove that they can do exactly what Aaron just did. Um, but a better trick, in my mind, is getting rid of the snake. Instead, Aaron's staff, we read here, Verse 12, each man cast down his staff and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. They would not listen to him as the Lord said. Again, we come back to this idea of God's message. His message is true. His word is true. The most powerful thing in this entire passage that we are going to discover today is the word of the Lord always reigns true. The word of the Lord always reigns true. Kids here today, um, those of you who are sitting here, uh, what do you think we're supposed to uh, learn by this, this passage here about these, these snakes? Well, I think, I think first what we have to realize is that God gave Moses and Aaron the power to do this miracle. Hudson, how did I do my magic trick? I tricked you, right? It was in my own power. It was of my own devices and things like that. I would argue today that the sorcerers and the magicians did this either A, by their own power, or B, by some demonic power. But regardless of how they did it, What's the end result? God's miracle wins. God's power is more powerful than the magicians. The magicians will come back into play here. So God speaks to to, to Moses. Moses speaks to Aaron. Aaron speaks to Pharaoh. Um, And we come to this phrase here in chapter 7, which is going to be problematic for some people. The phrase, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we have to ask the question, why? Why did God do this? Why, why, Lord? Well, verse five tells us exactly why. Verse five says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I will stretch out my hand against Egypt. There is something about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart All of these plagues piling up 
in front of the Egyptians and also in front of the people of Israel. That needs to happen. And the only way to accomplish this is to make Pharaoh an unmoving stone. To harden his heart. We'll we'll get into this more in chapter 15 as well and as we go throughout the plagues here. But I want you to understand there is no question in my mind. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You say to me, Billy, well, that's, that's not fair. That's not this. That's not that. I don't care what your opinion is. I care what the word of God says. And the word of God says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We'll talk about this more in a second here, but don't, don't get too afraid of me here. Remember, who is the king of hearts here? Um, okay, so uh, God says to Pharaoh, uh, you'll ask for a miracle. They perform the miracle. God calls the magicians, and the magicians do the same exact thing. And then we transition here halfway through chapter 7 into the very first plague. Um, at the end of this little miracle, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He went away. Big deal. No big deal. So God then says to Moses and Aaron, now I will stretch out my hand against the people of Egypt. And we get our first, first plague. And here we start to see in your notes here, God's might versus God, God's might and his mercy. Not versus his mercy, but his might and mercy are synonymous in these stories here. And we'll tell you why in a second. But the first plague is a plague of blood. Okay? What I'll tell you about the ten plagues of Egypt is yes, they do have some greater meaning to them. Okay? These plagues were a direct attack on the gods of Egypt. They were a direct attack on the gods of Egypt. Also in these plagues, there's God showing his power over what he created. Um, And there's almost an anti-creation story here um, that God is going to systematically work through. Now, some of you who are Bible nerds and you're book nerds and things like that, you're like, oh man, Billy's going to tell us all about the gods of Egypt and this is going to be great. I'm not going to tell you about the gods of Egypt. And there's a couple of reasons why. Because they're not real. They don't matter. They have no impact on our life whatsoever. They had an impact on the lives of the Egyptians. They thought they had an impact on the lives of the Egyptians. But God is going to show them that not only are all those gods rubbish, fake, dead, man-made, make-believe, but there is one God. And even though Pharaoh says, I don't know who this God is, (laughs) he's about to find out. So, uh, God commands uh, Moses and Aaron, um, they stretch out their hand over the Nile River, and the Nile River turns to blood. Not only does the Nile River turn to blood, but all of the fish and the, anything living inside of it die. And the Nile begins to stink. It's terrible. It stinks. This is a direct attack on three different gods of Egypt, but one of the gods, it was actually said that the Nile was his Life blood. And God turns the entire river into blood. Not only does he turn the river into blood, he turns the canals into blood, adjacent rivers into blood, standing pools, ponds, things in cisterns. So like people who were keeping water. You had your little canteen next to you and you're like, oh no, now turn to Well, we better ration this. You go to take a swig, you're like, ah, blood, terrible. Everything turns to blood. The magicians come along, and what do they do? Well, they do what the magicians do, right? They make more blood. Not the solution. Emmett, have you ever spilled anything? You ever spilled milk? You ever see mom take the milk and pour more milk on it to clean it up? No, that's that's silly. It's ridiculous. But again, we know why it's recorded here. It's recorded so that Pharaoh looks at this and says, oh, my magicians can do it. And it says that he walks away and doesn't even take this plague to heart. This plague lasts seven days. You know who takes it to heart? 
the people of Egypt. They take it to heart. They try to dig along the Nile, and they're growing weary and digging, and some of them are actually drinking blood, which, not a great idea. But they start to grow weary, and it says Pharaoh pays it no regard. Doesn't even give it a second thought. Second plague here is a plague of frogs. And before you ask, yes, the Egyptians had a frog god. I want a frog god. No, I'm only kidding. They had a frog god. Why did the Egyptians have a frog god? Well, because frogs were seen as a blessing in Egypt. I've never been to Egypt, but I have been around, around very large rivers. And there is something that is around very large rivers, especially when it's hot and sticky. Ron, what's around large rivers when it's hot and sticky? Frogs and mosquitoes, bugs. It's terrible. The frogs were seen as a blessing because the frogs ate the mosquitoes and the bugs and everything that was over there. And it kept the people comfortable. So, of course, the Egyptians have a frog god. But God says, hey, listen. You, you think frogs are a blessing? Frogs are going to be everywhere. He goes in to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. If you don't let them go, there's going to be frogs everywhere. Uh, not just like all over the Nile, like outside. I'm talking in your bedroom, in your kitchen. There will be no relief from these frogs. They will be everywhere. So this is the first time that we see Pharaoh come to Moses. And he pleads. He says, Moses, oh, pray to your God. Take away this plague from us. And I will let you go sacrifice. Tomorrow. So Moses goes to God. Prays. All of the frogs die. You got a bunch of dead frogs. What are dead frogs good for? Nothing but stinking. Okay, they stink. They smell bad. So now the Nile smells bad. Everybody's house smells bad. Everywhere smells bad. God has already told his people and his message that he is going to make them a stench and odor to the people of Egypt. This is God beginning that process here. So the frogs die. They stink. Pharaoh, upon seeing the frogs die, guess what he does? Hardens his heart and doesn't let the people go. Third plague. Oh, by the way, at the end of uh, the second plague, we have this phrase again, just as the Lord said. Remember, his message is the most, most powerful thing. The third plague, gnats. There is no pre-meeting with Pharaoh on this one. God says, tell Aaron to strike the dust of the earth with your staff so that the dust becomes gnats and covers everything. This is an attack on the God of the land. On the God of the land of Egypt. Just walks up, smacks it on the ground, and all of a sudden, gnats everywhere. Covering Everything. The magic men come up. And they try. But they cannot reproduce this plague. They can't get rid of it. And they can't reproduce it. By the way, there's not only power in bringing the frogs and the gnats. There's power in shutting them off and removing them. See, the frogs obey the word of the Lord. The Nile obeys the word of the Lord. The gnats obey the word of the Lord. Does Pharaoh? No. So Pharaoh hardens his heart, but before he Pharaoh, Pharaoh hardens his heart, the magicians say something very, very important to Pharaoh. And they turn to Pharaoh and they say, surely this is the finger of God. And this marks a key point. That even Pharaoh's own counsel is starting to turn against him. 
and say, "Uh uh-oh, maybe we're in real trouble here. Uh, Plague four, flies. And yes, there was a Lord of the flies. No, there was a God of the flies, okay? These people had too many gods. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, there's just, there's too much of a juggling act going on here. If you've got a a frog god and a fly god here, um, you got too many gods in in my book. Like, I, I wouldn't be able to keep track of all of them. And I would say the people had a problem keeping track of them as well. Um, Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. If not, I'm going to send flies everywhere. And this is terrible news for Pharaoh because God includes something else in this plague. He says, I'm going to make a distinction between my people and your people. So listen, the Israelites are in the land of Goshen, okay? You're in Egypt. You're like, ah, flies, flies, flies. You cross the border into Goshen and you're like, no flies. It's a no fly zone. Oh, come on. I had to say it. Come on. No flies anywhere. God is beginning to drive a wedge just like Pharaoh tried to do the very, very first time that Moses and Aaron came to him. Pharaoh tried to drive a wedge between the people and Moses and Aaron. And God said, my word will rule. This will happen. And God starts to systematically separate his people from Egypt. Pharaoh, even if you won't let them go, I am going to show mercy to my people and wrath to yours. Here we have the might and the mercy of our God. The power of our God that he could stop the flies in a specific location. Pharaoh starts to make some concessions here. Uh, uh, Moses tells him, uh, he says, hey, listen, uh, you guys can go sacrifice, just sacrifice in the land. Moses says, that's not what God said. We can't sacrifice in the land. If we start killing animals inside the land, all of your people are going to look at us and they're going to stone us. This is going to be really bad news for us. We can't do it because your people won't accept it. And secondly, and more impor- or first and more importantly, our God won't accept it. Pharaoh says, okay, go, go to the wilderness. The flies are really bad, but just, just don't go too far. So Moses goes, pleads with God. Flies go away. But Pharaoh hardens his heart, doesn't let the people go. Fifth plague, livestock of Egypt. Yes, there is a cow god. Pharaoh says, let my people go or I'll send a plague on the livestock of Egypt tomorrow, but not the livestock of Israel. Again, creating a dividing line, his might versus his mercy. We're supposed to see this very clearly in this story, that there is a distinction made, that God has a chosen people, that there are people who are not God's people, and there are people who are God's people. For those of you who are theologians in the room or who have read your Bible, you can see this theme clearly all throughout Scripture. So Pharaoh sends out some spies to, to go into the land of, of Israel and to Goshen. And um, sure enough, all of those livestock are still alive. What God is doing here is he's starting to not only attack the comfort of Egypt, he's starting to attack the economy of Egypt as well. When God is done here, the magicians are going to say to Pharaoh, just before he's completely done. The magicians and the sorcerers and the wise men are going to go to Pharaoh and they're going to say, what are we doing messing around with this guy? Can't you see that, Israel, or that Egypt is ruined? It's ruined. God makes a distinction. Pharaoh confirms that all the livestock of Israel are still alive, but he hardens his heart and doesn't let the people go. Sixth plague, boils. God tells Moses and Aaron to take soot from the kiln, stand before Pharaoh, throw it in the air, and it becomes boils on both man and beast. He doesn't say a word. Just goes in, walks up to the fire, grabs some ashes, looks at, looks at Pharaoh, throws it in the air, boils. 
everywhere on people. I've never had a boil in my life. I don't want a boil, okay? I, I don't want it. It's not something you want, okay? Um, the worst that I've ever had are chicken pox, okay? I've had chicken pox, and I remember how itchy they were and how terrible they were. These boils that God sends on both man and beast are so severe that it says the magicians can't even stand before Moses and Aaron. They are on the ground writhing in pain. This brings everything to Egypt to a halt. I mean, who would think that sickness could bring everything to a halt? Done. Everything stops because the people are unable to function. This is an attack on not only the God of healing and health, that the Egyptians had. But it's also attack, an attack on their knowledge. You see, the Egyptians took great pride in their knowledge of the human body. Um, we, we have mummies today that are still surviving from the knowledge that the Egyptians had of the human body and how the human body worked. They probably had one of the greatest healthcare systems known to man at the time. I read an article this week about, uh, and I won't get too much into this, but into uh, about a, um, an incident that happened in Ohio where uh, some water was contaminated. And one of the officials went to the home of, of a resident and said, I'm going to drink the water. And she said a phrase that I think the Egyptians probably would have said. I trust in science. I trust in science. Guess what? Some of the Egyptians trusted in science, but they couldn't get any relief. Egyptians had an excellent knowledge of the human body. They had an excellent knowledge of all of those things, but God hardens Pharaoh's heart. He did not listen. And again, we have this phrase at the end of the sixth plague, just as God had said. Seventh plague is hail. Yes, there is a God of the sky. God is attacking the God of the sky. It's the worst hail ever to fall in Egypt. And we have a special portion here where God conveys something to us. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 15 through 21. For by now, I could have put you out of my hand and struck your people with pestilence. And you have, would have been cut off from the earth. God says to the Egyptians here, he says to Pharaoh, listen, if I want my people right now, you could die. I can just wipe you out. I can wipe everybody else out and we can walk out of here scot-free. The problem is that's not God's plan and we'll find out in chapter 15 why that's not God's plan. But for this purpose, verse 16, I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed through all the earth. We're going to spoil alert here, okay? This is exactly what's going to be said in chapter 15. In the song that is created, that as Israel walks by all of these other nations, they are going to have already heard of what happened in Egypt. And they are going to be scared out of their mind. God is to be feared, not just in Egypt, but in all the land, that all the land will know. Verse 17 here, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, again, God keeps saying that, I think because Pharaoh said it, he's kind of digging at him here, um, I will cause very Large hail, heavy hail, such as never been seen in Egypt since the day it was founded until now. Now therefore, get your livestock and all you have in the field safe to shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field that is not brought home will die when the hail falls upon them. Now look at verse 20 here. This is interesting. We see the mercy of God here. He gives a warning. He says, everybody get to shelter. If you're not in shelter you will be cut off. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord, it does not say 
just the Israelites feared the word of the Lord. It said, whoever feared the word of the Lord. Among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. God is showing mercy even to the Egyptians in this. We serve a just God. He says, obedience. If you hear my word, you fear it. You hear my message. You obey it. You will be spared. No hail in Goshen, though. No hail anywhere where the Israelites are. Pharaoh comes to Moses and says, I have sinned. The Lord is right. I and Egypt are wrong. Take your people and go. Moses asks, okay, I will plead to stop the storm. But he says something very specific to Pharaoh. He says, but I know you still do not fear the Lord. Moses goes outside, stretches his hands, pleads to God. The thunder and the hail stop. The storm stops. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. People aren't released. Eighth plague, locusts. God tells Moses, he is doing these signs so that Israel will hand these stories down from generation to generation. And God's plan with the locusts is that they come in and eat everything that the hail did not destroy. The economy of Egypt is going to be totally wiped out. They're going to have nothing. The ironic thing is that the people of Israel will eventually want to go back. There's nothing to go back to. These locusts are going to eat everything. They're going to cover the entire land. They will be a pestilence on everyone and everything inside of Egypt. Moses says, he tells Pharaoh to humble himself and let his people go. Moses and Aaron leave. The magic men freak out. We're already ruined, he says. They say to him, let them go. Pharaoh calls them back. And he says, hey, who's going to go with your group? Moses says, hey, everybody's going to go. Oh, not the kids. You can't let the kids go. You can take take the men. Take the men and go. Moses says, that's that's not the plan. But he said to them, uh, verse 10 of chapter 10, but he said to them, the Lord be with you if I ever let you And your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No. Go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. The locusts come, wipe everything out. Pharaoh pleads again, ask God to stop. Moses uh, prays the locusts get blown away. Every single locust gets blown away. 80 and 83-year-old Moses and Aaron, thank goodness they didn't get blown away. But they, all the locusts get blown away. They get blown into the Red Sea, and they're gone. The Lord, it says, hardened Pharaoh's heart. The ninth plague is darkness. God causes a darkness to fall on the land that lasts for three days. This is the really amazing thing. It is so dark that these individuals cannot see each other. The Egyptians are wandering around. They can't see anything. You step into Goshen, it's light. How many of you know anything about light? Okay, there's a reason we don't have lightsabers. Okay, it is very hard, it's impossible for human beings to stop light and contain it. Only God can stop light and contain it. And He causes this great darkness to fall on all the land. So much so that one, on one side of the fence you can't see. On the other side of the fence, it's daytime. I don't know about you, but if I'm the Egyptians right now and I see all of these things, I'm scared out of my mind. I, I don't know what's going on. Could you imagine if, if all of our lives were turned upside down by these plagues? I know some of you feel like with COVID that our life was turned upside down. Not like this! Not like this. Egypt, one of the most powerful civilizations known to man at the time, is brought to its knees by an 80-year-old and an 83-year-old by the world's standards. 
but the world is going to find out that the Lord God is great. His message and his miracles are great. His might and his mercy is great. Pharaoh ends this darkness here, this time of darkness, by saying to Moses, get out. I don't want to see you. Moses says, hey, you know what? <laughs> You're in darkness, fine by me. <laughs> you ain't going to see anything. No, uh, so he just, he just leaves. He says, that's fine by me. I don't ever want to see your face again either. God's telling us to go. We're not supposed to stay. I want to read through chapter 11 here. Because the final plague is threatened. And this is what starts um, what I would say, and I believe most theological scholars would say, is the greatest story of redemption and salvation that we have in the entire Old Testament. Okay, obviously, it's not the greatest story of redemption and salvation that we have in the Bible, but it is the event that, as we will see here in a second, the prophets call back to. The New Testament, when it's talking about the ultimate sacrifice that was made, will call back to. Understanding this passage of scripture here is not only key to understanding why the plagues happened, why the book of Exodus was written, why the entire Old Testament happened, but I think it is key to understanding the redemptive plan of God throughout all of human history. This is going to lay the groundwork for what the people of Israel should be looking for in a savior. So chapter 11, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man and his neighbor, every woman of her neighbor, for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave to the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, look at Moses. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Remember who we started with, with Moses. This scared, conniving, murderer, liar, who just didn't want to do anything. God sent someone else, and now we have an 80-year-old man who's standing there, and the entire greatest civilization is looking at this old man, and they're going, I don't want to get anywhere near him. When he speaks, we're going to listen. He's made great. Verse 4, so Moses says, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt such as there has never been heard or ever, nor ever will be heard again, but not a dog shall growl against the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all of your servants shall come down to me and bow down saying, get out, you and all your people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went to Pharaoh in hot, and he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders be multiplied in the land of Egypt." And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go out of his land. What did God call Israel in chapter 4 of Exodus? What was the unique term that he said they were to him that we see here? So I hear it whispered. Be, be like Moses, man. Shout it out. Children or the firstborn. Israel is my firstborn. What did Pharaoh try to do to the firstborn of Israel? Throw them in the Nile. Wipe them out. Destroy them. 
God says, so you will know that I am the Lord. What you could not accomplish, Pharaoh. What was impossible for you to accomplish. To the fact that the one who is standing here delivering the message in Moses is one that you decreed should be killed and was not killed, but grew up in your house and is now standing defying your will. I am the Lord, and I will have your firstborn. In the beginning of chapter 12, God gives instructions to Moses on how to prepare a lamb and what they should do with this lamb. What they were to do with the blood how they were to prepare and eat a meal. And God says that he will strike down the firstborn of all of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, he will execute judgment. Salvation from the Lord always requires a judgment. It always requires a judgment. For the righteous message of God to be justified, there must be some sort of judgment. And God enacts the judgment here on the gods of Israel. I'm sorry, on the gods of Egypt, not on the gods of Israel, because God of Israel is the only one. On the gods of Egypt. He says, I will utterly destroy them and their firstborn. He is the Lord. He says that these statutes and these things are to be passed down from generation to generation. How they're to prepare this Passover lamb. Uh, Moses in, in verse 21. Then Moses called to the elders of Israel and said to them, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 21. Um, then Moses called to the elders and said to them, go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch to the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you should go out of your door and this, uh, of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door. He will not allow the destroyer to enter into your house and strike you. You shall observe this as a right and a statute before you and your sons forever. For when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when the children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the house of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians and prepared our houses. And when the people bowed their heads, when they heard this, they worshiped. And the people went out and they did so. And the Lord had commanded Moses, everything the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, they did. And we're going to just keep reading because the word's better than anything I could say right now. Um, at midnight, the Lord struck down the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up at the night, and he and all of his servants and all of Egypt, all the Egyptians. There was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks, take your herds as you have said, and be gone but bless me also. As I said before, this is the greatest story of redemption and salvation in the Old Testament. You see, God has a desire to be reconciled to his people. He wants them to be with him 
But in this case, in Egypt, there is a barrier that is separating them. And that barrier is a man whose name is Pharaoh, who God's heart, God hardens his heart. Does this story sound familiar at all? A lamb to be sacrificed. The firstborn being sacrificed. I don't want you to jump there yet. I want you to go backwards. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, verse 9. And when they came to the place, I'm sorry, I'm just going to start reading. I know you can't turn that fast. Uh, When they came to the place of which God told them, Abraham built an altar and there he laid on wood, bound with Isaac, who? His son. And laid on him in the altar on the top of the wood. When Abraham stretched out his hand, reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or anything or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son. God provides a substitution for the sacrifice of Isaac. But God says something here. He says, you have not withheld your son. We are running very short on time here. Chapter 13 comes in Exodus. And God gives very specific instructions to the Israelites. And he talks about this idea that there will now be required a sacrifice for those who are the firstborn. That every time the womb is opened from an animal or from a a woman, that there is a sacrifice to be required. If it is a Hebrew though, that Hebrew male needs to be redeemed. And there will require a sacrifice. And God institutes this idea of, of this sacrifice during the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He brings this idea of firstborn and sacrifice. Firstborn and sacrifice. In Genesis, we see the firstborn of Abraham that was promised to him being about to be sacrificed. But God supernaturally says, no, stop. Isaiah would continue this idea but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray and each turned to his own way, every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When Isaiah spoke, he was speaking of a sacrifice that was yet to come. See, the barrier that separated man ultimately from God was not a man. It was not Moses, it was not, or it was not uh, Pharaoh, it was not the bondage that was in Egypt. God graciously, mercifully rescues his people from that bondage, but they are still in the bondage of sin. And Isaiah hearkens back to Exodus, and he says the sacrifice that was made in Exodus, the Passover lamb, Jeremiah does the same thing. The minor prophets do the same thing. They hearken back to this idea of Exodus and this sacrifice and that God would be reconciled back to his people to the point where we come to the New Testament and the book of Matthew. And it says uh, in chapter 2, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there till I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. Thousands of years later, different ruler, same plan. Kill the children of Israel. But God calls his son out of Egypt, is what we learn. Verse 18 of that says, A voice will be heard in Ramah, weeping and lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, but she refused to be comforted because they are no more. That would be the result of the slaughter of the children of Israel that would be done in searching for the Messiah. John, John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist looks up, he sees Jesus coming, and what does he say? 
The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First Corinthians, Paul would pick up this idea. He would say, Cleanse out the old leaven in chapter 5. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. What are the things we're supposed to remember? Our God doesn't change. He wants a relationship with us. We look back to the book of Exodus. We see these people miraculously being saved through the blood of a lamb that was placed on their doorposts. And then we see the Messiah coming in the New Testament. We are supposed to be reminded back and say, this is our God. This is the power he has to save. These are the works of the Lord. And remember what I said. Salvation always comes with judgment. Abraham gets to spare his son, but our loving God does not spare his own son, and judgment is rained down on him, even though he did not deserve it. He becomes the perfect Passover lamb for all of us. He does what the people of Israel could never hope to do. He fulfills the law and brings true reconciliation between man and God. He destroys the barrier by his mighty hand. And what others see as defeat, he sees as victory. After the people of Israel are let out, and we're just going to sum up here really quick. After the Passover lamb, is sacrificed in Exodus. We see God's majesty. God's majesty. For the people of God are led out of the land by something great. Does anyone know what the people are led out of the land by? Somebody say it. Pillar of fire. After the sacrifice, the people are led by God through the wilderness. Pillar of fire. Romans chapter 8 will talk about the people of God. Acts probably has the greatest example of this. But here is a connection that you are supposed to make from the book of Exodus. After the sacrifice is made, God sends fire to lead the people. In the book of Acts, after the perfect sacrifice is made, what does God send to lead the people? The Holy Spirit, who comes in the form of what? Flames of fire. It's all one story, guys. It's all one story. It's the same God. Just as the people of Israel were led by this pillar of fire, we are to be led by the Spirit if we know Christ, if we have the blood of Christ on us, if we have been spared the wrath of God, if we have been separated out. There are those who know him and there are those who don't know him. There are Egyptians and there are Israelites. Are you a child of God? And we see in chapter 15 here, after God miraculously, uh, at the end of chapter 14, uh, the, the, the armies of Pharaoh are coming. Pharaoh hardens his heart again. He looks back and he says, what have I done? I've not only ruined my economy, but now I have no workforce. I need to go, we need to go get him back. So he takes all of his chariots, he takes his army, he pursues the people and the people cry to Moses, oh no, were there not enough graves in all of Egypt that you brought us out here to die? Moses turns to God, and you know what God says? What are you looking at me for? I told you to pitch your tents towards the, towards the sea here. Go forward. Moses stretches out his hand. As Moses stretches out his hand, this pillar of fire comes from in front of the people, 
to behind them to protect them and shield them as the sea is parted. And the people of God walk through on dry land. And as they get to the other side, the armies of Pharaoh are unleashed. And they go into the sea. And God causes the sea to swallow them up. Your homework for this week, because we're almost at an hour here. I'm sorry, guys. Um, 15, I don't know how many chapters we went over. Um, Your homework for this week is to read through chapter 15. Look at the song the people sing of how majestic our God is. I want to end with this. The most asked question, one of the most asked questions in all of scripture is, did God harden Pharaoh's heart? I say, yes, he did. I say, yes, he did. Just as our God had the power over all of creation, Pharaoh was still a created being. The truth is that God has power over your heart. He is completely justified in doing whatever he sees fit with your life. My encouragement to you is to soften your heart towards the Lord. Soften your heart towards his message. See his miracles. Observe his might and his mercy. And you will see how majestic our God is. Let the word of God, let his message penetrate your heart.